so last week, we began a new mini-series. Uh, those of you who were here last week, uh, we began a new mini-series, but it still falls under the original or the previous mini-series that we uh, finished, which uh, dealt with the sovereignty of God. Uh, so in the previous mini-series, we, we looked at the sovereignty of God in relation to the 10th plague, uh, if you guys can remember that. Uh, this new mini-series, the Passover edition, still falls under the sovereignty of God, but this time in relation to the salvation of the, the Israelites uh, from the 10th plague. Uh, and we see that uh, in the account of the Passover in Exodus 12. Uh, so last week I shared with you one observation uh, that I said was significant uh, regarding the Passover. And that's the first observation is that the, the placement of the Passover, where it's written on the text. Uh, if you're new here, if you don't you know, attend here often, we, we preach through the text uh, expositionally. So we take it verse by, not, not really verse by verse in the Old Testament, but we look at the context uh, of the text and then we preach from that. So for me, you know, you look at the end of chapter 11 in Exodus, in Exodus and you look at the, you see the warning that uh, Moses gave to Pharaoh about the 10th plague. For me, logically, what should come after that is the account of the plague, right? I don't know about you, but that's what, that's what I'm thinking. That's the train of thought that I'm in when I'm reading this. But it's not. Uh, in chapter 12, uh, the author of Exodus uh, put in the Passover, and I think that's very interesting. Um, and the reason why I say that uh, is because um, last week I said that this is the first time that God had to give it, the Israelites instructions on how to be saved from a coming plague. First nine plagues, the Israelites were just saved automatically. No instructions necessary. But this time, God had to give instructions for the Israelites themselves to be saved from this coming plague. And if you read the instructions, by the way, who read Exodus 12? <laughs> I hope you're listening at least, you know. Yeah, don't read it, but <laughs> I hope you're at listening. So if you read the, the account of Exodus 12, the, the only prerequisite that God put in place in order for anybody to be spared from the 10th plague is what? The blood. That's the sign that God is looking for uh, on their doorposts. When he sees the blood, he will pass over. Uh, and it's not just any blood. God was specific in saying that the blood must come from a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish or impurities, and only a year old, so haven't lived long. Uh, so the Israelites, uh, after receiving that instruction, were then to kill the lambs, use his blood as a sign on their doorposts. And the rest was to be what? Adobo, minudo, caldereta. No, no. The rest was to be what? Roasted. And only roasted. Can't boil it. Can't eat it raw. No sashimi. Right? Roasted. Uh, and as I mentioned last week, I believe that this account, this, 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 this instructions for the Passover directly points us, uh, first of all, to our state as sinful human beings, and second, to the salvation that God made available by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, as far as our state as sinful human beings are concerned, the fact that God had to institute the Passover as a way of salvation from the 10th plague shows that no human being is safe. Right? Not even the Israelites at that time were safe. They had to do the Passover to be saved. So that's a pointer to us, to our sinfulness and how no human being is safe from the coming plague. What's the coming plague? That's been talked about in the scriptures from the start and all the way to the revelation. What is it? God is coming back. And when he comes back, he will make everything right. That means he's going to wipe out anything that is impure, anything that is sinful, anything that is against him. He's going to wipe out. He's going to start over. Right? If you read Revelation 22, that's the new Genesis. Right? You guys read Revelation 22? It's the new Genesis. That's going to be the new world for those of us who believe and for the people, quote-unquote, the people of, of God, right? So as far as our state as human beings, the fact that God instituted a Passover tells us that, yeah, we need salvation and we can't save ourselves. Um, so both the Egyptians and the Israelites were equally sinners in the eyes of God and both deserved the coming plague. I know, yeah, they're God's people. There shouldn't be, right? But if you read the, the story of the Exodus, how, how stubborn were these people? After they crossed the sea, after they crossed the, you know, the Prince of Egypt scene where they crossed. Oh, Prince of Egypt. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's at the end of the Prince of Egypt. How, how were they? Were they all godly, the Israelites? No. right? They're, they're all hard-headed, stubborn people. So they are. They deserve the plague. Uh, but in God's mercy and grace, he gave them a way, he gave them a way out. Right? Uh, and these instructions, uh, based on God's sovereignty at that time, were only given to the Israelites. Uh, again, for two purposes. Uh, first, to accomplish God's promise to save the Israelites in that time. And second, is to accomplish his purpose for the nation of Israel. Uh, what's his purpose for the nation of Israel? For the Messiah to come from them uh, and for that Messiah to save all of humanity from the penalty of sin. So are we good with that? We understand that? So there's a good uh, commentary on it and it gave a good uh, summary of the purpose uh, for the Passover. Um, and the summary... Uh, uh, all begin with letter R, so that you can easily remember it. So, again, what is the purpose for the Passover? Uh, first purpose for the Passover is for the rescue of the Israelites, which ultimately will lead to the rescue of sinners from the penalty of sin through faith in Christ. Second purpose of the Passover is for remembrance. Right? Another R. Remembrance of God's mercy. Again, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God and deserve the wrath of God, but God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, chose in his sovereignty to show mercy to those who would believe in Jesus. The Passover is a pointer to that mercy. So when we look at the Passover, and when you saw, she saw the video, how, we, how do we celebrate the Passover nowadays? Through the Lord's Supper and through baptism, when you, when you see that, when you remember, you remember God's mercy. Right? It's a Passover, it's a point of that mercy. Um, and third, 
the purpose of the Passover is a reenactment. Okay, a reenactment of the sacrifice that Jesus would have to go through hundreds of years after the Exodus. Where? On the cross of Calvary. Uh, but this time, his sacrifice would be once and for all. And there only is one lamb needed for that sacrifice. If you read the account of the Passover, how many lambs had to be killed? One per household. If there's only two of you in the household, you even call your neighbors. <laughs> because you're supposed to eat the whole thing, and I'm going to get to that later on. Right? But when Jesus uh, did the sacrifice, it was only one. It was just him. And that was good enough to pay for the sins of the whole world. So now this morning, I'm going to try to share with you a couple of more observations from our text in chapter 12. Those of you who read it, you probably already know what I'm going to say. Uh, those of you who haven't, well, please listen. Um, now, I'm going to try to stay within the theme of God's salvation and how the Passover account ultimately points us to Christ. I'm going to stay on that theme, okay? Because like I mentioned last week, there are other interesting facts that can be found in this chapter about the Passover. Uh, most of them uh, only apply to the Israelites of that time and some that are still celebrated by Jews today. Um, but I'm not going to take all of that up. Let me, I'll give you an example, okay? Um, what, the doorpost. Why on the doorpost? Why put the blood on the doorpost? So you see it every time you go out, every time you come into your house. Unless you don't want to go home anymore, <laughs> you're not going to see the blood. If you read Deuteronomy, what did the Deuteronomy say to, to fathers and to parents? Teach this when you're in your house, when you leave your house, when you sit down, when you get up, everywhere. Teach it. That's why it's on the doorposts. You see it every time. You go out the house, you see the doorpost. You come in the house, you see the doorpost. It's there. It's for, it's for us to remember how God saved. Right? Uh, that's what we're supposed to do. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. It's for us to remember. Right? What did Jesus say in the Lord's Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. That's why we always do it. We're supposed to do it every Sunday. But... I was outvoted by some of the elders before. Uh, they said, only two Sundays. We might get, you know, it might lose its meaning if you do it too much. Uh, you know what? You can do it at your house, in your own homes. You can do it every day if you want. Because that's what it's for. It's for remembering. Right? So those are the things. If you read through the account, there's more stuff to, to, to see and to observe. Uh, but mostly, most of those things apply to the, to the Israelites and the Jews of uh, today. So we're going to try to stick with the uh, theme of salvation and how this points to Christ. So the next observation that I want to share with you is found in verse 13 of chapter 12. Can we see verse 13? Okay, same thing. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood... I'll pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So when God passes over 
sparing the Israelites firstborn, when he passed over their homes, when he sees the blood, that's what he's looking for. He's looking for the blood. He's not looking for obedience. He's not looking for work done by the Israelites to paint their doorposts with blood. God is looking solely for the blood. Uh, you see that in verse 12 again. When I see, or sorry, 13, when I see the blood. Now, how is that significant for us today? Uh, there are some Christians who think that serving God is equal to having a relationship with God. There's a lot of Christians that think that. Oh, I have to serve. I have to do this so that the relationship is, is good. Otherwise, God will get mad at me if I don't do. Uh, that's not the basis of our relationship with God. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how many ministries you're a part of. If there's no blood in you, there's no relationship. The plague still applies. That's the, that's the point of this uh, God looking for the blood. There are so many Christians just like, like that. They think that ministry and serving is, is the basis of their relationship with God. Uh, that's not. It's, that's a backwards way of looking at what it means to serve. That's a backwards way of looking at what it means to be a child of God or what it means to be a Christian. Uh, if you look again at the account of the Passover, God's prerequisite to be passed over by the destroyer is the blood on the doorpost. That's the only thing that God looks for. Now, we can argue and say that the blood won't get to the doorposts if the Israelites did not first trust and obey. Right? They, ha they have to have trusted first and then obeyed for the blood to get there so that God can see the blood and pass over them. We can argue for that. But that observation brings us back to God's ultimate plan of salvation. How, how does God save now? By faith, right? And only by faith. And through the grace that comes from God, we receive faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the blood on the doorpost is a sign of faith sign of faith of the Israelites to believe in God's word delivered by Moses to them. And in their trusting or by their faith, they acted it out by obeying the instructions for the Passover and therefore leading to the placement of the blood on the doorposts of their homes so that they can be saved. So even in the Exodus, salvation was still by That's interesting. It's always been. I don't know how it got to works. <laughs> well, if you read church history, you'll know. Um, but it's always been trusting in God to save. That's the same prerequisite to be passed over, to be saved nowadays. Our Passover lamb is the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in his sacrifice of flesh and blood on the cross is how we place the blood of Christ in our hearts. And that's what God looks for when he sees us. It's not looking for your resume. It's not looking for how many times you attended church or how many ministries you participated in. It's all about faith in the blood. Amen? So those of you who are busy with ministry, examine yourselves. Am I just doing this 
to keep that relationship with God because if you are, that's, a, that's the wrong relationship. That's not by grace. You're trying to earn your way in. Right? You do ministry because of your love for God, your relationship with God. Right? Um, again, good works, ministry, attending church, attending prayer fellowship, Bible studies. Any of these things should be the result of an intimate relationship with God. These are effects of true saving faith, not the cause of it. I hope you get that clear. Don't get that backwards. All right? Next observation. It's found in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10. And you shall let none of it remain. What's it? Roasted lamb. Have you had roasted lamb, by the way? Anybody? It's good. Yeah. I'd eat all of that for sure. I probably need two for my household, one for me, one for my family. <laughs> but it, yeah, that's the lamb that it was, it's talking about. Let none of it remain until the, mor until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. 11. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, staff in hand. And you shall eat it in haste. Eat and run. It is the Lord's Passover. So two things I want to uh, point out here. First, the Israelites are to eat all of the lamb and let none of it remain. Okay. To the point where if you don't have enough people in your household to eat one whole lamb, you go get your neighbor to help you eat the lamb because the lamb has to be eaten fully. Okay? Now, where have you heard that before? In the Gospel of John, Jesus asked his disciples to do the same thing, right? Uh, John 6, 51 to 57. You guys read it. Same thing, right? If Jesus was or is the, the, the spotless lamb that was sacrificed for us, he's telling his disciples to do the same thing as the Passover. Right? Now, I know that in the Passover, the blood was specifically to be put on doorposts and not consumed. Didn't say that in our text in Exodus, right? Only the flesh was to be consumed, Right? So if that's the case, what did Jesus mean here in John 6 when he said, eat the flesh and drink the blood, specifically on verse 53? What did Jesus mean by that? 
That's different. That's not in the Passover account. You're not supposed to drink the blood. You're supposed to put that on the doorpost. So why did Jesus say that in John 6, 53? Uh, first of all, we have to realize that in John 6, Jesus is speaking spiritual truths using physical realities. Okay? You've got to learn how to read this, the Bible, in context. We were talking about that earlier. Not because it mentions the heart of man, that means it's talking about how evil the heart is. Because in the context of Proverbs 4, it's talking about the heart as your life source. That's why you protect it. Right? It says in Proverbs 4, protect your, your heart from evil. Because this will bring you life or give you life. So it's, you have to read it in context. Same with John 6. Uh, Jesus in John 6 is conveying spiritual truths while using physical realities. Why? Because that's all we know. <laughs> right? We don't know spiritual truths until we've been enlightened and with the help of the Holy Spirit. So he, Jesus, has to use physical truths. Uh, in this case, in John 6, uh, he's using the physical reality of eating, the act of eating. He, who here does not eat Everybody loves to eat. That's why everybody can relate to what Jesus is saying. All human beings eat. And some of us love to eat. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to ask for hands. Who here loves to eat? I, I love to eat. Yeah. I don't just eat. Some people eat to just, you know, get full. No, I eat to enjoy. Who here eats to enjoy? Yes. I'm not just going to eat anything. It has to be good, right? We all love to eat. So in a way, what Jesus is trying to communicate here are higher truths to lower beings so that we can relate to it. Uh, another example of Jesus talking about food. Uh, John 6, uh, this time in verses 25 to 27, uh, Jesus rebuked. Those who followed him across the sea after being fed the day before. You know the story? So he fed the 5,000. Then the next day, he's like, there's too many people. I need to get across. I need to get away from these people. He ran across the sea. People came looking for him. The people who got free food came looking for him. And they crossed the sea as well. Right? And then they're asking him for food. Check it, check it out. You guys, I'll read it for you guys. John 22, uh, John 6, 22. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. That was the feeding of the 5,000. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, what did they do? They got themselves, or they themselves got into boats and went into Capernaum, seeking Jesus, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 27, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God, the Father has set so Jesus said, I know why you're here. <laughs> you just want more bread. 
or more fish, maybe some dessert this time. And no, stop chasing after that food, right? That's what Jesus said in verse 27, right? Since the people who followed him only did so to get free food, Jesus used, again, food, because that's what they were craving, that's what we're looking for. He used food to tell them a spiritual truth. What was the truth? What he said in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which Son of Man will give to you. So now how does this spiritual truth, uh, how does the spiritual truth of the Passover relate to this spiritual truth that Jesus is speaking of in John 6? What does Jesus mean that when he says, don't work for food that perishes? Instead, what? Look for the food that endures to eternal life. What do you think he means by that? Right? Because if you think about what we eat, right? We were talking about this earlier. That's why I didn't mention anything during Sunday school. Uh, you know that saying, you are what you eat. Right? You eat spices. You eat spicy stuff. You even begin to smell like... <laughs> when you sweat, you... or you burp, you, 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 you smell it, right? You are what you eat. So the food that we have, any food that we have, except for like McDonald's fries, it perishes. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know, but McDonald's fries, if you leave them out for a month, it'll not rot. It'll still be, <laughs> it'll still look the same. But <laughs> any other food that you eat, it will perish. So you keep eating that food, What's going to happen? You're going to perish. If you are what you eat, you're going to perish too. That's why we're all going to die. And Jesus said, don't work for that food because these people that came after him across the sea, that's all they wanted. That's all they were looking for. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. There is a better food, a complete food, something that does not perish. So what is Jesus saying there? Simply put, what Jesus is saying to those foodies that came after him is that food is life. And I'm just going to simplify it like that. We're not going to go through the whole John 6. Food is life. We need to eat to live. Eating physical food will give physical life. And ultimately, that life, like the food, will perish. But the food that Jesus gives will endure. Meaning that the food that Jesus is offering does not perish. So now, if the whole point of the discourse in John 6 is to convey the spiritual truth about Jesus as the bread of life, how do you reconcile that with the Passover meal? Well, first of all, the Passover meal is a pointer to Jesus. The flesh that is to be eaten is a pointer to the truth that when we eat of the bread of life, he will abide in us and us in him. Get that? When you eat something, it becomes a part of you. It's what builds up who you are physically, right? So what Jesus is saying, no, no, when you eat me, eat my flesh, I will be in you and you in and I will help you live 
Not live just on earth, but live to eternity. Now what about the blood? What does the blood represent in Jesus' John 6 discourse? In the John 6 discourse, the blood represents life. Right? You saw that on the video. When blood is taken out of the body, body dies. Blood is life. So when Jesus offers his flesh as the bread, this means that his blood might, must also be included. Right? That's why I love the chefs that on the Food Network that treat their ingredients, especially meat ingredients, that treat it with respect. Right? They don't just uh, boil I, I hate people that cook like that. They don't treat the actual ingredients with respect. You know why? Because something died for you to eat that. Right? I don't care if you're a vegetarian. A plant died <laughs> for you to eat. Right? <laughs> Unless you're eating, all you're eating is synthetic stuff. But even that is probably made from some raw materials. Something died for you to to eat. And when you eat those things, it becomes part of you. It helps you live. And that's what the blood represents. Blood is life. So when Jesus offers his flesh as bread, that means he has to give his blood too. He has to die. Or in other words, if Jesus is to become part of us through his flesh, his blood must also be spilled. So when Jesus said that his flesh is true blood and his Oh, sorry, his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. He means that he can't give one and not the other. He can't just give flesh and not blood. He can't just give blood and not flesh. It has to be both. God cannot receive a half sacrifice. What happened to Cain and Abel? Uh, yeah, Cain and Abel. Cain offered half sacrifice. Or, yeah. Right? That's why he murdered his, his brother because his brother's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't because his was not a full sacrifice. Right? God cannot receive a half sacrifice and Jesus cannot offer a half sacrifice. Can't. They have to go all way. And that's why the Passover lamb has to be eaten whole. That's why you can't leave a piece behind. Nothing is to be left over. Now for us, professing Christians, what does it mean? That means that we can't accept half of Christ. We must believe in him for all that he is. You can't pick and choose who, what to believe about Christ. Or to say it in a lingo that you might understand, you can't believe on Sundays and then live like unbelievers during the week. You can't serve only when it's convenient. The blood of Christ is the life and his sacrifice is full. God designed it that way because Jesus is to be taken fully. Seriously, right? So I don't understand people who are so serious with their jobs, but when it comes to church, 
They're half in, half out. I don't get it. You have the capacity to focus and be serious. But you only do it for a food that perishes. You only do it because you're getting paid at work. Here you're not. So, eh, I can afford to miss church. I can afford to miss Sunday school. I can afford not to take this seriously because God's gracious anyway. He'll understand. No. Some people are obsessed with work. But they can't do it with this. Meanwhile, Jesus gave everything. God, through Jesus, gave everything. He's designed, God designed salvation that way because Jesus needs to be taken fully. He needs to be taken seriously. We can't just come to Jesus so we can get food, money, health, but not him. Some of us are like that. I'll take Jesus as long as he gives me everything that I want. But just him, what's the point? <laughs> that is the point. <laughs> he is the point. It's not what it means to believe in Christ. To believe in Christ is to receive him fully, to eat his flesh, and to have him become a part of us. As you continue to feed on him by faith and through his word, we become more and more like him. You are what you eat. And as we become more like him, guess what? You're going to act more like him. Christ's obedience shows that. And his obedience led to death, right? Check out Hebrews 12, 3 to 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So when it comes to our obe obedience, God doesn't require us to shed blood. <laughs> He requires us to give up our lives, surrender our lives to him, but not to the point of shedding blood. Only Jesus did that because he's the only one worthy to do that. But for us, well, I'm not going to say all of us. Some of us might be called to shed blood. Like there might be some martyrs here, right? I don't know. Maybe it's me, maybe one of you. But really, the first one to do that and the only one that really counts the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not called to, to even do that. Right? We're not called to even do that. But we are called to become more and more like him. To walk as he walked. Which leads us to the next observation. Okay? So the, the, the eating of the, the whole lamb is a pointer that Jesus must be taken fully. We can't pick and choose what we like about him and not. We have to take him fully. Right? And when we take him fully and we eat of his flesh by, through faith, by his word, we become more and more like him. That means we act more and more like him. That's what it means to have true saving faith. Now look at the next observation in verse 11 in Exodus 12. In this manner, you shall eat it. Eat the lamb. How? With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste 
It is the Lord's Passover. What is, what is that? That's an unwavering act of faith in God, right? Because God said, no, this time you're leaving. He never said that in the first nine plagues. This is the only time he said that. And this is the only time he gave this instruction, right? So this time we're leaving. Now, if, put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites. Nine plagues have passed. You haven't left. You're still there. <laughs> what, what would your reaction be when God says, okay, before you eat the lamb, get dressed because it's time to go? What would your reaction be? Come on, be honest. I, I mean, it's not just me. I'd be like, yeah, okay, God, I'm going to pack up all my stuff, and you're going to have 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 plagues. And plus, they've been waiting there for 400 years for this salvation. How would you react? Nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to say it. I'd be just sitting there, okay, I'll wait first. Let me see first. If they kick us out, I'll get ready. <laughs> right? But here, nothing has happened yet. And he's asking, God's already telling them, get dressed. Time to go. That's an act of unwavering faith. Because this time, you're packing up everything. It's like, um, before you get, like those of us who are immigrants, right, you came here, you had to wait for your visa, your medical to go through, all that stuff. You got to buy your Plane fare, some of you have to have some show money to, so you, they'll let you through. So none of those that are approved yet, you're already packed. Let's go, you're already at the airport. Time to go. Wouldn't that, that's an act of unwavering faith. Right? You're so convinced that this time, this is it. I'm going to pack. But in this case, 400 years and nine plagues later, they're still in there. They still haven't left. Would you have packed? <laughs> I'll just be, just be honest. I wouldn't have packed. I would have waited. i wait till Pharaoh says, then I'll go. But that's not faith, is it? But isn't that the way we act? <laughs> Lord, I'll serve. But first, you have to make sure my schedule is ready, get me the right job, all this stuff. I'll come to church, but make sure I sleep early on the night before. Make me sleep, because if you don't, I'm going to stay up. Isn't that what we do with God? Give, give first, God, and then, I'll, then I'll move. Wait, Lord, wait till I retire. I will give all my time to you. I've heard that so many times. Meanwhile, all the retirees, most of them, <laughs> are on Facebook. <laughs> Taking pictures of their gardens. <laughs> I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, okay? But I'm just saying, a lot of times we say a lot of things like that. Yeah, give me the right job and I'll give all my all to you. Give me the right this. Give me a husband that I've been waiting for. Give me that. And I will serve. Give me the money that I need so I can get rid of my debt so I don't have to work part-time. But we don't. That's, is that faith? No. Unwavering faith is this. Nothing has happened 
I haven't even eaten yet. <laughs> I haven't even killed the lamb yet. God's telling him, get dressed. It's time to go. That's the kind of faith that God wants us to have. Uh, a faith that takes risks and trusts that God will come through no matter what. Do we have that kind of faith? I had struggled with that when I was first called to be pastor here. Because I'm like, what if the, everybody leaves? <laughs> Who am I going to pastor? My parents and my sister and my family? What if I can't do this? Because I, I, just didn't, I don't have the background for this. But I went out, had a sabbatical, read Jeremiah. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, you know what happened to Jeremiah, right? God told Jeremiah, tell the people this, 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 and that. Uh, but know this, nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> Will you still go? God said, don't worry. Even though nobody listens to you, I'll be with you. What did Jeremiah say? As long as you're there, I'll go. So that's been my motto ever since. As long as you're there, I'll go. Right? Even with mission trips, those of you who know me, I'm the pickiest eater there is. I don't like eating just anything that's cooked by anybody. I, I have to know who cooked it. And to go on a mission trip, you can't do that. They'll just feed you whatever. And that's for them, that's a big deal because they barely eat over there. In Nicaragua and the places we went to in the, in the Philippines. Right? But for me, again, the, the, the mentality was, I don't know, Lord, I'm going to die. I might die there because <laughs> I, I don't eat. The first mission trip that we went to in Nicaragua, I didn't eat for two weeks. Like, didn't eat. I, I ate, I, I drank water. I lost a lot of weight then. Because I just didn't want to. Uh, not only that, when I eat something that doesn't agree with me, I have to go to, you know, number two, right? And if you know the washrooms there, oh, the washrooms are dirty, right? It's just a hole in the ground. And every time that hole gets filled, they move the washroom to a different hole. <laughs> it's true. You guys are laughing. In the Philippines, it's the same thing, right? So you go into the washroom, and the first time I went in, uh, we were in a hill, so there was no other washroom around, just that. And it's a box, and it's just, you go in, there's a concrete seat. And I'm like, oh, this is not bad. You barely smell anything. There's no flies. So I was just going to do a number one. So I did a number one. When the number one hit the floor of the hole, the flies <laughs> rushed out. I'm like, Lord, I'm going to die here. I can't even drink. <laughs> but again, do you go? If you trust God, yeah, yeah, you will. You think those people that go to India or um, those people that get sent over to like nations that are that prohibit the gospel from coming in, do you think they ever question God's faithfulness? No, they go because they know God's faithful. And that's the kind of faith that God wants us to to have. A faith that takes risks and trusts that God will come through no matter what. So what is whatever he's calling you to do. Pray about it, and then take that step of faith. Don't be like, God, show me first. No, that's not how faith works.
pray about it, and trust him in the end. So now what happened? After they get dressed, they, they did the instructions, what happened? Did they end up going? Yes. After the 10th plague, in which the Israelites were spared by the mercies of God, the Egyptians pretty much kicked them out of Egypt. Right? They didn't have to wait for that to happen. They were already ready to get up to leave. Um, but the story did not end there. Um, we're going to continue with the rest of chapter 12 and more observations, maybe that you haven't noticed, but I encourage you to read it and look at the observations, especially the one where they plunder the Egyptians. You know that part? They said, go to your neighbors and ask for them silver and gold. Read that. Why is that there? <laughs> right? Think about that. Uh, and we're going to continue again the next time I'm, I'm back here. Okay? I hope to see you all back again as well. Amen? Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace and give you peace and give you peace as Lord and give his face to shine upon you and be great and be gracious unto you and be gracious the Lord be gracious to you